And this is why like even just a quick shortcut, I like to call it chatterfall can help because being mindful of cognitive overload, we can say, okay, I'd, you know, just take a moment to listen to the instructions. I'm going to give the instructions of what I want everyone to put in the chat. Maybe it's about what, what does mindfulness mean to you, for example. And then I explain that everyone we're going to in silence, we're going to all be typing that in the chat at the same time, but not click enter. So everyone is typing at the same time. Then when you know that everyone's finished, usually you ask for nonverbal cues, thumbs up, people are ready. Then you give your magic word like mindfulness and everyone clicks enter at the same time. And then you get this huge waterfall of chat, waterfall of chat. And then you say, okay, now take some time for yourself. You can even if it's a big group, sometimes I put on some nice relaxing music in the background with no lyrics because I can, again, distract people's minds. Uh, but just put on some music and let's take a moment to read through this for yourself. And so in that way, it's such a small shift, but it's a big one that now we're all listening typing and reading at the same time versus trying to do all three at the same time, which is exhausting. Welcome back to The Authentic Entrepreneur with your host, Oscar War. trainer, facilitator, and learning experience designer, talking about psychological safety and well-being, especially in the digital space for organizations. Today we're going to talk about digital well-being and how to take care of ourselves more, especially in this very connected online world, where sometimes we often forget to disconnect and take care of ourselves, which can lead to burnouts, for example, or severe consequences. But we're going to talk about how to overcome that and, I guess, live more mindfully, live more um, and just know how to take care of ourselves. How are you doing, Romy? Great to have you here. Ah, so great to be with you here today and talk about this topic that I love so much. Me too. And yeah, the reason that I wanted to bring you on is because I've been seeing you super active around this topic. And like you said, one of the big topics that you're a fan of is psychological safety and digital well-being. And yeah, I'd love to dive into to those aspects and just start off with what is digital well-being for you, would you say? What does that mean? Oh, such a good question. I mean, really, when I think about, well, well-being, I think, in general, is mm. just so important. And I think the pandemic has really highlighted for so many people. I think this is maybe the one benefit, if I can say that there was one of the past two years of the pandemic, was that highlighting the importance of well-being, the importance of physical well-being um, with, you know, our body and our you know, physical health, as well as mental and emotional well-being and how um, in tune we are with our emotions, how self-aware we are, how much we can regulate our emotions to support ourselves. Um, there's so many different aspects of well-being. And I think when, you know, when I think about digital well-being, so much for me comes up of how are we using you, how are we really utilizing the online space and all of our digital tools in a way that supports us instead of hurts us? Because I think, unfortunately, um, too many people with this transition to online work and meetings and remote everything 
became just, you know, a huge result was tons of hours sitting in the same position um, at the computer. Uh, I was, I am definitely with someone who was guilty of that, considering I had to start my own training business uh, right when the pandemic hit. Um, but it again, t- completely affects our mental, emotional, and physical health. It's so unhealthy. And so trying for me, when I think about digital well-being, it's how do we leverage the tools we have in a way that really supports us and our, all of the, our personal goals instead of burning us out, instead of hurting us, instead of feeling like, oh man, this is, <laughs> this is not how I want to live my life. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And you're saying that many people now, yeah, in the past two years, we had to work um, sitting down in, in our home. People often got the bedroom mixed up with the office, mixed up with the kitchen, depending on how big your house was. And people did get very tired of that, but I still don't think that many understand how to maybe create that separation, but also, um, yeah, learn to take care of themselves. Because well, at least for entrepreneurs, you're like, I can get through this, I can just keep going, and maybe I'll take a break when I get sick. <laughs> But of course, people aren't really thinking that, but that's what happens. And so I'd love to hear, yeah, how was this the past two years for you? Um, how did you learn to cope or to manage this better? Yeah, so I mean, it was such a key aspect of my own per- personal and professional learning was just how can I, how do I take care of myself in the, I think in the industries that we work in, right? When you're training, facilitation, learning experience design, so much of this, you are constantly giving so much of yourself, or at least for me, I can speak for myself. I am giving so much of myself to others, my, not just my time, but my passion, my energy, my, my knowledge, everything comes out. It's really a quite a giving uh, profession, which Mm. I love. That's why I do it. I give my heart and soul into everything I do. And I absolutely love it. But uh, if you don't really take time to to re, you know rejuvenate and um, you know refresh, reboot, take time for yourself on a daily basis, for me, I learned because I had a really unhealthy relationship where I was going full throttle every day, Monday through Friday, like very little sleep, go go go, doing as much as I could um, to really work on my own training business and then just would completely say, okay, the weekends I'm going to recharge finally. And then I would spend my weekends sleeping in, not really taking full advantage, not really feeling like I had, um, utilized my, my free time to the full effect that then on Monday would come around like, Oh, okay, here we go again, full on. And it's just not sustainable. And so I think for me, one of the biggest learning lessons has been really integrating, um, well-being routines into my daily life, um, as well as making sure that it's something that I'm doing daily for myself and not waiting for the weekends to recharge because that's just not sustainable. So some examples I can give you of, you know, what's really worked for me, but I encourage everyone to find, you know, what really works for you. But the things that have really helped me, um, one has been doing more walk and talk meetings. So if mm. I'm not in a training or facility, if I know I don't have to be training or facilitating, but just it's more like a planning meeting, I am always on my phone with my headphones and I will tell, tell the group, Hey, if it's okay, I'm going to be walking and talking. And I encourage you to also go outside and walk and talk too, because otherwise I would sit, you know, 12 plus hours a day on my computer. So Today, I wasn't walking and talking because we're recording uh, and I didn't want to get the wind in there, which happens sometimes. But I think it's such it for me, that's been huge. It's been a great way to make sure that I'm getting, you know, one to two hours of walking in a day uh, and making sure that I also enjoy it a lot more. I'm also 
oftentimes inspired by the nature around me that can also create more creative ideas. Um, that was, was a big one. Another one was also getting a standing desk. Um, I know it's not for everyone, but for me, I've, I really loved it. You know, I have different desks in my house, so I do have sitting desks sometimes, but I have standing desks can be really nice when I feel like, oh, I'm just sitting too much. But then there's, you know, much more we can do more than just even the physical is really thinking about mental well-being. So I'm a huge fan of mindfulness practices, and it's something that I implement before I, yes, I know you are too. And, uh, and it's something that I implement before I do any kind of training or workshop is take some time for myself and make sure I'm in my, you know, in the zone for myself. Um, and it's also something that I love and try to encourage as many groups that I work with to do as well. Taking a mindful moment at the beginning of any meeting or workshop can be so powerful because we are maybe physically, you know, jumping from Zoom room to Zoom room, but our mind will still be in the last meeting that we were in and taking that dedicated time at the start of a meeting to really let's get here, let's get grounded, let's prepare ourselves for this meeting. I often see that has just huge, um, huge impact and effects. And what else works? I think bringing in kinesthetic movement, we often forget that our bodies are so much, you know, there's so many interconnections between our brain and our body. It ha you know, has to do with our emotions, our focus, our attention, learning, all of that comes into play. And so for me, it's really essential to make sure that well, this is a key part of my work in general is making sure these online meetings are actually fun and interactive and engaging and experiential, but also kinesthetic as well, because we're not just talking heads on a Zoom screen. We have our full bodies. And the more we can bring that in, the more we can maximize learning as well as fun and play, which is also important for well-being. Wow. There's so many things that I love to pick out there. First of all, yeah, I love to start my own trainings. I would say mostly not usually don't do it in meetings, but to take a mindful moment, especially if it's a topic uh, around personal development or psychology, then you're like, yeah, remember to take a space between the previous meetings or whatever you're doing before to be here. Because like you said, our brains are often thinking about what were we just doing? What do we need to do? What's this unfinished tasks? Because our brain doesn't like unfinished tasks. And simply taking a few deep breaths does help a lot with that so thank you for bringing up that mindfulness practice and yeah. love that you shared the routines the walk and talk I haven't done that much because sometimes I feel like I want to take notes during a meeting and maybe it's not as easy if you're walking and talking but it depends on the call I would say um, but definitely you can, you can, it's a good point you can always record and later get the audio transcript as well if you need you can put all these interesting features true there's always a way there's always a way awesome <laughs> so how do you make the just i love the kinesthetic part of meetings um great point that we're not only a floating head uh, we're actually here but you're right like when i'm seeing myself on the screen now I think this is me. I am just this upper half of a body talking with you in your head. But how can we remember to be kinesthetic and yeah, be present in our full body then? Oh yeah. So another, you know, I'm a huge fan and I've always been of energizers and, um, and I still think that they're even more essential to do in the online space compared to in person. So I'm mm. usually always trying to do some kind of whether it's at the beginning or in the middle or throughout um, any workshop, really trying to bring in more kinesthetic movement to bring that energy up. So that could be from just doing 
simple stretching. Um, but of course, I like to make it more fun. Sometimes I put on music and I say, let's do some Zumba. And we're just stretching and moving a little bit together. Um, sometimes that's, yeah, it's great. Sometimes, <laughs> I mean, depending on the audience, sometimes like that, that moves into full-fledged like dancing, having a dance party online, which can be really fun. But I think there's a lot that we can do even in small things like, um, for example, I, I see a lot of people using polls, embedded in polls into their meetings, which is great and a great tool. If you don't need so much of the actual data, but you just kind of want to gauge what's going on with the group. Sometimes I do activities where I say like move really close to the camera if you feel this way or move really far away if you're this way or move to the left or move to the right or you know, so these creative. kind of different things. Yeah, just to kind of spice it up and get people moving. Also, a lot of activities and energizers, I'm usually having them like I was saying, remind, remember that you have a body. So let's like stand up, let's move around. Let's, there's a lot that you can do online. It's just surprising to me how, unfortunately, this format, because we, we feel yeah. there is a box, we feel like both in the way that we move, but also I think in our ideas stay very much inside the box and so I'm usually trying to incorporate even even this background setting okay so you can learn a lot about someone I think this is one of the beautiful things about online training is you can learn so much more about your colleagues in their online space um, so you can use that to your advantage have them run and go grab an object and bring it to the camera or even you can pick up your computer or your phone and walk around and show us a place that's really meaningful in your house, um, whatever it is, but you can do lots of different things that bring in movement in a way that, um, yeah, really can elevate the meeting and bring in more kinesthetic and mindful, you know, movement, all of that together. That's so cool. I was, when you were talking about these different techniques, I, I was remembering the, you shared a recording on LinkedIn of you asking people to move around with their computer to show and you were showing the you were at a hotel close to a beach I think <laughs> yeah yeah that, least, so cool. yeah. yeah that was super cool yeah, yeah that's it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite um, activities because you know if we were if we were all meeting in an in-person space you know we wouldn't be able to have this extra little window into the world of our colleagues and so Again, it's one that you have to be very intentional about just for the psychological safety, because some, mm. for some people, it can feel very intrusive, like, hey, you're asking me to take you around my house. This is why I always one role model it myself. And I always show that, you know, if you feel like you, you, you want to show somebody a place in your house, but you have to walk through your really messy living room to get there, you have full permission, you're a VIP, this is a backstage pass access to your life. So you can turn off your video for those messy moments because they don't have access there and then turn on your video when you feel you've arrived at the place you want to share with others. Um, so I think that's really important, but it, but it's been, it's such a beautiful activity and I've seen people really connect uh, through that one. Yeah. I love it. True. Yeah. You gotta, it's great to give those guidelines of you being the VIP director of what you can show people. That's so cool. When yeah, the, super important. The next thing, I think would be what would be important is also to like understand what is especially in online meetings what could make people feel drained and just to start the conversation like I know oftentimes it's when I have five six seven meetings in a day or that many hours of meetings and it can become quite monotonous and that's what people will sometimes feel like oh my mental well-being or my digital in this digital space does start to wane 
when that starts to happen. So I'm just wondering, yeah, what have you found could create that sense of being drained from working on the online world and in the digital world? So interesting that you asked. So I haven't thought about this in a while, but it's so important is, um, yeah, Zoom fatigue. I mean, Stanford did some great research on what they found, um, you know, what causes Zoom fatigue uh, or, you know, poor Zoom gets the bad rep, but online fatigue, let's say. And, um, (laughs) and yeah, there's so many different aspects. So one, one that they found is just that it's not normal, basically, um, for us to constantly be looking at ourselves in the mirror, right? If we were meeting in person, we would not be carrying a mirror around with us. And this is huge cognitive overload in terms of how we are constantly looking at ourselves. And so this is why I always, when I'm doing um, activities, particularly mindfulness, um, particularly with empathy, all of this, I always encourage people to find that hide self view button in zoom. If you Mm. don't know where it is, you can um, scroll over as if you're going to touch your nose on Zoom. And then in the top right hand, there'll be these three little blue uh, dots and a button that comes up. And if you click there, you can hide self-view. And this means your video is still on. I always tell people, people can still see you, but you can't see yourself. And it's it's a ni- it's a beautiful reminder of like, hey, this is a bit more of what it really feels like when we're meeting in person. And it also helps our brain so much from like, oh my gosh, I'm constantly staring at, at myself. Even if you don't want to, even if you're trying really hard to look at, at the people, it's just the way our brains are always going to go back to, to look at ourselves. So that one's a huge one. I'd say um, another one is also just looking at the screens in general is cognitive overload of um, we have, you know, we're often in the online space. Um, this is why it's so important for facilitators to really be intentional with how they design the activities and how they deliver them because it's so exhausting for our brains to hear the facilitator say something um let's say somebody we're asking people to put something in the chat like hearing somebody give the instructions already seeing people have their responses and reading their responses in the chat and trying to write our own responses this is what contributes to cognitive overload and fatigue and exhaustion there's just too many things happening at once and this is why, like, even just a quick shortcut, I like to call it chatterfall can help because being mindful of cognitive overload, we can say, okay, I, you know, just take a moment to listen to the instructions. I'm going to give the instructions of what I want everyone to put in the chat. Maybe it's about what, what does mindfulness mean to you, for example. And then I explain that everyone, we're going to, in silence, we're going to all be typing that in the chat at the same time, but not click enter. So everyone is typing at the same time. Then when you know that everyone's finished, usually you ask for nonverbal cues, thumbs up, people are ready. Then you give your magic word like mindfulness and everyone clicks enter at the same time. And then you get this huge waterfall of chat, waterfall of chat. And then you say, okay, now take some time for yourself. You can even if it's a big group, sometimes I put on some nice relaxing music in the background with no lyrics because I can again distract people's minds. Uh, but just put on some music and let's take a moment to read through this for yourself. And so in that way, it's such a small shift, but it's a big one that now we're all listening, typing and reading at the same time versus trying to do all three at the same time, which is exhausting. Mm. Wow. That's really cool. Never thought of that. And so many ways to make meetings more engaging and fun. And I think you are one of the the top people for this, at least that I've seen. And so cool that you have so many tricks did you come up with that one 
How did you find it? <laughs> Chatterfall? Oh, no, I cannot take credit. I am constantly attending and learning and taking and tweaking and experimenting. So I cannot tell you who, uh, where I learned that from, but I can say that uh, that was a really great tool that I did learn that helped me realize, okay, how to address cognitive um, overload. And that's another piece of the puzzle is like, totally. just be more comfortable with silence as a trainer facilitator. We are, I think we're so often, and I'm someone, I'm hugely extroverted and I'm always still trying to get more and more comfortable with silence. But I now see that as a necessity for participants to really they need to take time to really grasp what you're saying and then answer. And so oftentimes we ask a question, we get really nervous. So we like, no one's answering in that millisecond. So, okay, we're going to ask another question. We're going to keep talking until we get someone answering and people need time and space to just be and think. And so even though it can feel really uncomfortable at first, being, you can have a superpower if you are really comfortable with silence as a facilitator in the online space. So that I think is another big one. I think especially in the online space, because yeah, like we're used to everything going super fast and getting immediate um, gratification, immediate, immediate notification. So just even that one tip is very important to keep in mind too be mindful about let, giving people their space and to type and to react. Love it. Yeah. And I think, I think also just hearing you say that also just reminds me that, yeah, this is part of well-being. is, is people need time and space and that can go in these little small, you know, interactions or activities or tips that I'm sharing now, but can also be much bigger things like you. I, I think this goes for anything, whether it's in-person, online, hybrid, you as a facilitator really need to be mindful of the, let's say, the atmosphere of the group, like how are people feeling? And so you may come in, you may have spent a ton of time preparing a workshop that you are super excited to deliver, but then you realize that, wait a second, this group just, this is not the right time or place for, for us to do this right now. This group is drained. This group is exhausted. This happened to me recently. You know, I, I've, I've been, I do a lot of different training, but I was a while ago um, working with a group from, from the UN and they had been in constant meetings up until that point. And even though at the first meeting, they were super engaged and super excited and loved what we were sharing um, on virtual tools and tips. Uh, the second meeting, they had just, they'd, you know, been in dealing with crisis all day, dealing with tons of meetings. And when they showed up to the meeting, I realized, wait a second, we are not going to have another meeting like we had the first one. They are exhausted. They are drained. So I needed to really adapt and flex on the spot and say, okay, what is, you know, what do we feel? Let's talk about it, group. What do we feel ready and able to do right now? Do we want to reschedule? This is also another huge thing I've seen and just, I think, shows a lot of grace is even saying, sometimes I have one-on-one -on -one meetings and I can see that that person is drained, burnout, exhausted. And I just say, would you like to reschedule the meeting? And we often feel so, uh, there's so much pressure, like you said, to go, 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 that people don't, don't want to be the one that cancels in advance. But you can see when someone feels like they totally. are not going to be up to their full potential. So I'm asking more and more people like, would you like to reschedule? But even for groups, like, how are we feeling? Do we need to reschedule? Should we keep going? How much do you think we can get through today? Should we have a shorter session? And just taking in some more of what I observe and what they say, I'm, I'm always ready to redesign on the spot and flex to their needs because at the end of the day, we really need to put our participants in the center of the learning and their well-being is a huge part of that. 
Totally. And there's a truck going by, backing up. <laughs> I'm sure you can hear that. <laughs> I can hear it. Maybe that means it's like extra true what I said. You know, when you sneeze, they say that means it's true. Maybe maybe the sounds of trucks also make it <laughs> that it's true. <laughs> yeah. I even had this morning, I was experiencing that. And I do encourage, yeah, to reschedule. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. It's People need to be reminded if it's okay to reschedule. Um, the world's not going to explode. And... I, the person I was going to talk to this morning, she had caught a cold and she was like, ah, I can still make it. I can be still productive. I was like, it's okay. I mean, for me, I was running a bit late anyway. So I was like, okay, let's just reschedule. It's okay. It fits. Yeah. And I think I, unfortunately, I think that we have this, this pressure. work, work, work culture. Yeah. This pressure yeah. that it somehow reflects badly on who we are as people when we ask for those. And you know, but I see more and more people who don't ask for that. You see a lot of emails like emergencies have come up or these things. Come, people people don't feel safe. And this is why psychological safety for me is such a key aspect of well-being because people don't feel safe to just say, hey, listen, I'm having a bad day. Could we possibly just reschedule this for another day? We don't need to. I mean, if anything, the pandemic has highlighted how mental health is key and how we all are constantly dealing with our own mental and emotional health. And so being able to have more open conversations, it's, it's essential, but there must be an aspect of psychological safety there, an aspect of um, really being able to, to, well, psychological safety is a shared belief that it's safe for interpersonal risk-taking, like say it's safe to just cancel a meeting or mm -hmm. it's safe to speak up or it's safe to make a mistake. Um, or as to, or another definition is that psychological safety is an environment of rewarded vulnerability. So what I would love to do is actually role model and authentic, you know, this is the authentic entrepreneur. Let's all start to authentically role model vulnerability more and say, Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm showing up today and I'm not feeling great. Like, could we possibly reschedule or I'm I'm willing to go through it with the meeting, but I have to tell you, um, I really almost didn't show up today. And, you know, just so we all kind of understand where we're at, we can better know how to deal with each other in that capacity. A hundred percent. And I tried to be a role model for this, just um, to be more authentic to saying, to create that space for people, for teammates to speak up if they're not up for what we're doing, if they want, if they want to reschedule meetings. Um, but I have, I do also see sometimes that it is hard for people because of that expectation, right? Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, let's dive into psychological safety from here because I love this topic. And I do think, especially for like teams in the digital space, it's even more important because oftentimes, like you're saying, when we're meeting online, it's for meetings. It's very less often for games or social activities. I know in Trainers Forum, in the NGO that I'm working in, we do have social events. Uh, online but it's not that often also because somebody needs to organize it but um so it's we often meet just for to talk about work <laughs> and stuff um let's define mm -hmm. psychological safety and then talk about promoting it so yeah so a couple of things come up so um pretty much uh, the definitions that i i would share for psychological safety are the ones that that i did give but i'll make sure Sorry. that they resonate even more no worries so 
So Amy Edmondson is the um, one of the world's leading experts on psychological safety. Um, highly recommend her work and her book, uh, The Fearless Organization. So she defines it as uh, a shared belief that uh, by a group that it's safe for interpersonal risk taking. And basically that means showing up authentically as you are making mistakes, learning to fail, um, presenting your ideas, even if they're unfinished ideas, all of that goes into it, which is basically, um, yeah, another way to say, as Timothy Clark defines psychological safety is like an environment of rewarded vulnerability, um, which is a key differentiator, rewarded vulnerability versus punished vulnerability yeah, that I really yeah. like. And, you know, what we know about Brene Brown's work and how, you know, she's, as we know, like the world leading researcher on vulnerability and shame and empathy and all these pieces is that vulnerability um, with uncertainty and emotional exposure can be really difficult to do in the work setting and workplace, yet it is the birthplace of all the things that we need, not just creating connection and belonging and empathy and joy within a team at work, but it's also the birthplace of innovation and creativity. So, you know, Google did a, actually did a, um, with Project Aristotle, they researched tons of teams and we're trying to see, you know, what really makes high performing teams? What is the differentiator? And what they found was that it, it didn't matter actually who was on the team. It mattered how the team worked together because psychological safety was found to be the number one key differentiator for teams. And it makes sense if you want to create um, sanctuaries of inclusion and you want to create incubators of innovation, which are all essential for high performance, then you really need to be investing in psychological safety. And for me, this has been such a key now, a really key aspect of my work because I was doing, you know, like experiential learning is everything that I do is all about experiential learning, training and facilitation. But what I realized is that psychological safety is also the foundation for learning to happen. You cannot even start to create a learning culture or learning env uh, environment until you address psychological safety. And the same goes with well-being. You know, what you mentioned was that so much of this work is really is, is about making sure people feel safe to share their emotions, which is something that up until I think the past two years, even now in many corporate environments, it's still considered, you know, unprofessional to share about your emotions at work. That's something that should happen outside of work. Don't bring your, don't bring your emotional baggage into work, but that's not realistic. We are emotional beings um, we are not, uh, you know, we're uh, as Antonio Damasio, the neuroscientist um, from Portugal, actually said, uh, I hope I, I always miss say it in the not exactly perfectly uh, way, but he always says, you know, human, um, humans, we are emotional machines that, uh, that think we are not thinking machines that feel. And so we have to remember that that emotional piece is such an intrinsic and such a key aspect of who we are that we cannot just separate our emotions out when we're working. It's going to come into play no matter what. So even just creating more conversations around our emotions, creating more space that people can actually show up, that's, that's everything. That's psychological safety, well-being all in one. And Something I'm trying to do more is even just like check in more and create, give tools like the mood meter or emotion wheel and show people like, let's first, before we start this meeting, let's just 
check in. How are we feeling? You know, is it helping us for this meeting? Do we need to do something right now to manage our emotions to have a more productive meeting? Like all those things can come into place. Um, and there's, yeah, if you're willing to, to really go there. It's super important. I imagine many people, I think actually I've probably seen this somewhere, but um, for entrepreneurs, especially it's very important for them to be emotionally aware. Like they will tend to become better leaders then and thus be able to go further with their teams. So this is a big key. And I did, did pull up your um, Antonio Damasio quote because I do want to check it out. And uh, yeah, you got it right. It's, <laughs> we are not thinking machines. Say it, say it. What did we, what did we say? <laughs> we are not thinking machines. We are feeling machines that think. Yes, exactly. We're not thinking machines. We're feeling machines that think. Yeah. Totally. Even though I don't know if we're machines, but I do think of myself as a machine sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't like this word yeah. machine. I I realized last week I was saying this quote, but saying we're we're emotional beings that think, mm. not thinking beings that feel. So I guess I like now that. I'm gonna change his quote and use, <laughs> use those words myself. <laughs> nice quote from Romy. That's great. I like, I like that one. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, but actually, you know what you said about leadership, that's how I got into this whole space was I was doing lots of leadership trainings back in the day. And then I realized that emotional intelligence was the key, for me, a key aspect for, for leaders. And now that has evolved into the well-being that's evolved into psychological safety, it really all goes hand mm. in hand. If you know, whoever is listening to this podcast, you might be working by yourself as an, you might be a solo entrepreneur. You may be working with a team and building up your, your business that these aspects are not just all these topics we're, we're discussing are not just touchy feely, nice to have. These are requirements. We need to, as entrepreneurs, be really mindful of the culture that we are creating in our own company. How are people feeling when they enter into work, when they enter into our calls? How are we making them feel included um, so that they are more willing to share their crazy out-of-the-box ideas that could strike gold? You never know. Um, as well as for solopreneurs, even if you're working by yourself, you are constantly consulting with other people. And I've just seen how even based on the knowledge that I have about emotional intelligence and well-being and psychological safety, when I come into a company or an organization who does not have that shared understanding or culture, mm. doesn't have those kind of well-being practices, it's such a relief for people. Wow, thank you for bringing this. Thank you for having us pause for a moment and take a mindful moment. Thank you for asking me to really start to identify my emotions and develop my own emotional literacy because that's, you know, thank you for sharing some tools and kinesthetic movement that can help us, you know, move some unpleasant emotions out and really help me stay more focused on, on the call. So every, each one of us, no matter if this is your background or expertise, all of us have, you know, the ability to positively influence those who are working with and bring more of this mindful well-being um, topics into the space. So I, I'd say go for it. Totally. Uh, first, so many things come to mind again. You're so, you're so great at expressing yourself, Romy. And I think that on ex the point of expression, like you're saying, there's kinesthetic expression, like just movement, but also verbal expression. I think maybe mo most people think that expression needs to happen verbally, but no, emotions are also trapped in the body. So that's why just moving, taking a coffee break, going into for fresh air helps to shake up, shake it up, move your, your uh, what's the, 
what's the word that's not blood, but that moves through your veins? Ah, whatever. Maybe you, you know what I'm talking about, but no. It's a biology thing. <laughs> shake, shake up your body to get, get the nerves going. And then also the vulnerability and psychological safety. I feel like maybe correct me if there's some um, way to categorize this, but maybe I think there's the work on the self that you could do and then the work or the space that you provide for the team. Like I know from a, from a leadership point of view, I think it's very important for the leader to be able to be practicing mindfulness or self-awareness to know how they're coming across and what they are yeah, doing for themselves, but then also to provide the tools or be able to create the space and the methods for the team to be able to do, them for, do that for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen those differences or how can we work on ourselves, but in both for the team? So, so such an important topic. I mean, that's really the foundation of everything. We cannot expect to our team members to do anything until we do them ourselves. Uh, in the research that I did when I, I was actually working with the United Nations Development Program, building out a curriculum on emotional intelligence and leadership. And what we found in the research was that the number one reason, um, well, now I'm, I'm, I still would connect it to this great resignation now, but this was in, in 2020. Uh, what we found was that the number one reason why uh, people left their jobs was because of the lack of emotional intelligence of their managers and leaders. And I hmm. think we see this still even no more way. now with the great resignation. People are feeling burnt out because they feel that the managers and leaders and bosses are not taking the full human needs into perspective. It's like work, 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 outcomes, outcomes. But if we don't feel that we have a safe space in which to work, if we don't feel that we have enough time for our, ourselves, for our own mental health, you know, that's not sustainable. So it's absolutely a key aspect for any leader, any entrepreneur to work on. And um, what you said, you know, it's emotional intelligence starts with self-awareness. Absolutely. There's, when we talk about emotional intelligence, there's four pillars and it starts with self-awareness and then you have other awareness or empathy. So this awareness piece of ourself and others, and then you can move once you have the awareness piece down, this is when then we can move into really management or um, regulating. So then we have a self-management or self-regulation tools of how you might manage your own emotions, as well as other awareness or relationship management. So this comes into a lot like how do we work with others? How are we communicating on nonviolent communication? How are we, you know, all of those different pieces. So it's this awareness and also this regulation piece that of myself and others that are key for emotional um, intelligence. And And what you said is so true. Like you cannot... You cannot expect anyone else to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. So bringing in mindfulness has also been found by research to be one of the key aspects to support emotional self-management. It's a great strategy and tool for, for self-management. So, But mindfulness is kind of all-encompassing because mm. you first have to really get present with yourself and see how am I feeling in this moment. Um, you know, all emotions are gifts. And this is such a key aspect that I think Unfortunately, there we use these terms too much. Like, there's a good or bad feeling. It's a good or bad emotion. Actually, there's no such thing or good or bad emotions. We I, we like to use the term pleasant and unpleasant because some of them may be more pleasant to experience and feel, and some of them may be more difficult to experience and feel. But they still, each emotion carries a message for us and is a gift for us. And when we tap into really tap into that self awareness and get mindful and present with ourselves, we can say is okay first how am i feeling let's label that emotion um, but then also 
you know, is it helping me? Like what first? So, okay, let's go through the process. First, I would really get present and say, how am I feeling? What do I notice the sensations? You know, what am I sensing in my own body? Then would, would be all about um, the really naming that emotion, because what we found is that um, the more we're able to name it, the more we can tame it, the more it becomes something more feasible that we later can, can manage. So really getting um, particular about, okay, what are the emotions that I might be feeling or experiencing and putting a name to it? Then we go into kind of like, I always use this term WTF, which is not what you think it is, but I always ask like, what's the function Oh. What's the function of that emotion? <laughs> but you can always use it in the other setting it too. Like, why am I, why am I feeling this emotion? What, what is the message here? Um, what could be behind this emotion of why I'm feeling this? And then you can, you can decide for yourself. Okay. Is this an emotion that I want to continue experiencing right now in this moment? If so, like sometimes we feel we need it. Like sometimes if I feel like a really deep sense of grief or sadness, I feel like I need to get this out. I need to have a really good cry. I need to get that out so that I can, you know, give that sit in that emotion because otherwise if I try and bottle it up or I try not to experience that, it will come out like a volcano 10 times bigger <laughs> and more intense of an emotion that later on when I don't want to experience it. But sometimes I recognize like, okay, this is not the right time and place to have a good cry. I'm in a, I'm about to walk into my, who knows, an investor's meeting and I'm extremely stressed and now is not the right time to have like a total freak out or panic. I need to get, get it together. So this is where really tapping into more tools like mindfulness, taking mindful moments. Mm. Also, I know you are a huge fan of Tony Robbins. And um, one of the tools that I love to use is like changing your emotional state is this triangle. So really being mindful of going back to what we said about the body, because our body can actually change the way we feel if we are making our bodies more closed or down or inward, it often leads to more unpleasant emotions. Whereas if we make ourselves big or strong, have power poses, even just the physical act of doing that can also help our minds get into more pleasant emotional states. Um, so it's that triangle is really this balance of the body. Also the focus, where are you focusing your energy and attention? Is it, oh my gosh, this is going to be, this is a huge moment. It's make or break. If I mess up, it's a whole disaster. Or is this focusing on what, uh, you know, focusing more on something that can support you in that moment? Like, Hey, this is a beautiful opportunity to connect with some amazing people who are interested in what we're doing. Let's bond and connect over, you know, my, my business concept, because these people are actually going to be willing to invest in me. Um, as well as the language, this is the other key aspect of the triangle, the language that you use. And this is where self-compassion also comes in so importantly. Um, self-compassion is really speaking to yourself as you would your best friend. And the language we use, we all have internal chatter. I think entrepreneurs even 10 times more because there's so much about like, how am I doing? How am I, is it going? Um, you know, am I achieving my goals? There's so much when you're by yourself as an entrepreneur, there's so much chatter that can really make or break your own work. It's so much of a mind mind game. And so the language that you use, how do you speak to yourself when you do make failures, when you do make mistakes? How do, can you speak to yourself the way you would your best friend? All mm. of those pieces really come into place for self-management. Totally. Wow, dropping major knowledge bombs there. And I would just add on <laughs> <laughs> what you were talking about Um I thought you were going to mention her because you were basically saying what she says in her book, The Emotional Agility by Susan David, if people want to learn more about, because you were talking about uh, naming the emotions, then being able to accept them, express them, and take action on them. And what she talks about. Yeah, she's all, I love that book as well. 
for anybody listening, emotional agility is super powerful, along with Brené Brown's books. Those are like some of my favorite ones in terms of emotional, yeah, growth and understanding. And the the concept that you're talking about that she mentions is bottling or brooding, which is either to rummage up on top of your emotions and just let them affect you until you are able to let them dissipate or bottling them and then they explode. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of those are good. So you have to find a nice way to move through it. Mm. Um, and that's where emotional agility comes so much in, in play. And wow, we are almost at the top of our time, but there's so many tools that we have. And I would love to know, because you mentioned so many, maybe is, is there one that you love to use for yourself if you're feeling like you're getting tired from a day's work of in the digital world, for example, and how would you help yourself go th- get through that? Yeah, I think... Um... I mean, a lot has to do with, I mean, definitely building on what we just said, like the body movement piece for me is key, but I noticed myself when at the end of a long day, if I'm feeling really drained and then it's like my poor husband gets the worst side of me, um, you know, and it's like, okay, let me try and, and, you know, give him also some of the good things of Romy, not just after a long day. So that's where I usually really break out the environment. So I'd say, okay, I'm going to go for a, even an evening mm. walk. I can call some people if I want. Connection is, is a huge one. So if I'm having a particularly bad day, I can call people. I can always talk to my husband, who's wonderful. Um, but I can also move, uh, walk. Nature really helps. Uh, I'm a huge fan of journaling. I think that is a huge uh, tool for us that is so underutilized that really helps us get more in touch with our ourselves and our emotions, how we're feeling sometimes even just putting it on paper, we can then let something go. Um, having different routines, like, you know, when I would like to do this more, but um, I'm a huge fan of like self care. And that can look from many different things from what I want to do more is take more self care bubble baths myself and just have some music and like take some time away from the screen and just like enjoy, really enjoying that time. It can also self care look like going out for a really nice meal or traveling to a new place, even if it's a nearby town, if I can't travel outside of the country at the time, just because those are the things that I know that really nourish me. Also, you know, sitting down with a good book, I'm a huge, you know, avid reader. So really taking time and space for myself and learning not just to wait for the weekends to do that, but even starting your mornings with, um, you know, I, I'm really trying to start my mornings more with journaling and reading and writing and the things that give me self-care or at least on my evenings or if you can if you have if you're an entrepreneur who can really design your schedule make sure you take time in the middle of the day for those things because it really really makes the whole difference true 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 yeah even like a little break to get some fresh air does help yeah and how i do it to give the similar perspective i do i try always to meditate in the morning and exercise multiple times per week and I think that does help me as well to do the emotional plus physical. And then, yeah, not so in, much into journaling, but I do know it's got massive benefits. It's probably like the most research in terms of for well-being and gratitude as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it all it's like a wheel. It's a well-being. Yeah, you get to choose. I know I'm not going to. Yeah, and exactly. We can always think about what aspect of well-being we want to focus more on if it's sleep if it's um, exercise if it's eating if it's um, our emotions if it's um, you know there's so many different aspects and so and I think the one thing I would say is that you know what I I made this mistake is I was I'm kind of an all or nothing person so I was like okay starting tomorrow I'm going to take 
two hour blocks in my day. I'm going to be running every day. I'm going to be um, working out. I'm going to read for an hour a day. I'm going to do like all the things at once. And then I was like, nope, that doesn't work. So it's really about behavior change is really about taking small steps. So take one aspect, think about one aspect of your own well-being that you think that you could improve and start to take a small step every day. Even if it's just someone said, how do you find time to read Roman? I never have time for myself. So I said, just start with taking 20 minutes in the morning. And you can read a lot of books if you're reading just 20 minutes a day, even 10 minutes, for goodness sake. So whatever it is, whatever your own would support your own well-being, find a way to turn it into a really micro step and do that a little bit every day. And then you can build up and build up and then you'll be doing lots of those things at once. Exactly. That's so true. Well, thank you so much, Romy. You are one of the most impactful trainers that has been in my life so far because you've done so many cool trainings. Just oh, shouting out in case any, anybody wants a, a great trainer facilitator, especially on psychological safety, because that's your jam at the moment. But otherwise, of course, leadership, life purpose, whatever. Romy can do it Thank all. Thank you. <laughs> that's so sweet of you to say. Where can people learn more about you or contact you? Where can people follow up? Yes. So um, I'm still working on my website, but hopefully that will be up soon. But in the meantime, for sure, um, LinkedIn, I'm Romy Alexandra on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm at Training by Romy. Um, find me there and eventually you'll find me at RomyAlexandra.com with my website. <laughs> cool. Looking forward to that. That's awesome. Yes, exactly. Much more to come. Lots more resources I've been compiling on experiential learning and psychological safety and emotional intelligence and well-being and how that all comes to place together for the learning space. So you'll be you'll be the first to know, Oscar, once it's up and gone. Super cool. Well, thank you so much, Romy, for, for this time being amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So wonderful to chat about all these topics. And, you know, you know where to find me if you ever want to continue the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to The Authentic Entrepreneur hosted by myself, Oscar War. Before you leave, please go make sure to follow us on Instagram. And again, thank you so much to the amazing guest this episode. Thank you.